With Isildur's mother? Oh, yeah. Oh my <laughs> god, this is the craziest <laughs> affair ever. <laughs> Welcome to Hobbit Hoopla. Hoopla! 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 The unofficial podcast of Second Breakfast. My name's Jamie Clare, and I'm here with my good buddies to talk about The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Episode 7, The Eye. I'm joined, as always, by the lore master of Hobbit Hoopla, Andrew Smith. Thank you, Jamie. Andrew Smith here, uh, connoisseur of many nerdy things, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, other nerdy things. I, I don't know. What, what else have I not mentioned here? <laughs> oh, The Boys. The Boys is a great... Oh, my God. I love The Boys. Uh, Mr. Mr. Andrew Smith, to interject here, you promised the people that you would give your opinions on The Sandman, and oh, we haven't I heard that oh, yet. Oh, yeah. What I are know. your opinions? I, okay. I, I, I still have two episodes left, everyone. Oh, I, I'll, I'll watch it this week, and I'll give you a full recap in my intro in the next episode. Perfect teaser. Bringing them back for episode eight. The audience is coming back guaranteed just to hear what you think about this. <laughs> do, do I believe I keep your promise? No, because I know you will. Oh, my God. Hey, we're oh. getting early quotes, hey. <laughs> introduction quotes from the fantasy expert himself, Chris Pio. Hey, guys, Chris back for yet another episode here. So excited to talk about this one. Uh, you can find me and give me your hot takes and discussions on the Hobbit Hoopla Twitter or Instagram, but also you can find me personally for my personal takes at Apple Pio on Instagram, at Apple underscore underscore Pio on Twitter. Still working on that one. Let us know what you think, and we're excited to be here and talk through these last two episodes. We've got one more after this, and uh, we'll have to see how it goes. We are very excited to see how everything ends up this season, but as always, we have a very special guest this episode. (laughs) We're joined this week by the first Harfoot to ever invent applesauce, Jake Laxer. (laughs) Admittedly, I thought it was apple sausage, but I digress. Shout out to to my girl Malva. Uh, How we doing all? Jake Laxer here, lover of all things TV and movies. Uh, We got a great episode ahead of us, and you know what? I'm excited for it. I'm I'm here with the boys. I got my Paradise City Session IPA, and let's get into it, fellas. (laughs) Cheers to you, Jakey. Cheers to you. Before we dive into this episode, we have a few exciting announcements in the world of Hobbit Hoopla. The four of us have been loving making this podcast for the past few weeks. We are excited to announce that Hobbit Hoopla will be continuing after the Rings of Power Season 1 is over. We'll be back. We'll be reviewing and giving our thoughts on the Hobbit trilogy as well as the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Let's go. Hoopla! So continue to tune in every week. We're going to keep bringing more content for you guys, more hoopla about the wonderful world of Middle-earth. And in addition to that, we will also be branching out into a new genre with our first endeavor into hero hoopla. Hoopla! Hoopla! As we review Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever, when that releases here next month. So, tune in for the rest of Hobbit Hoopla and tune in for Hero Hoopla when that comes around. We're very excited to keep making this podcast. We love it. It's the best. Hoopla! And that brings us to our even more exciting announcement that we have. Andrew, what do you have for us? Thanks, Jamie Harry. Come come and join us here at hobbithoopla.square.site where you'll you can support the unofficial podcast of Second Breakfast. We're releasing some merch here, guys. So uh, check All us right. out. Here. We, we got have merch. Some shirts. We have Woo. some shirts. We have some mugs. We have a beanie. So uh, t- take a look out there. Support the podcast. We're trying to expand out here um, to different genres. Keep going with the the Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Hobbit. So uh, any support would be greatly appreciated. And hey, it's uh, some cool looking merch out here. So take a look. It is some sweet looking merch. We got it. That coffee mug is incredible. Heck yeah. I got a beanie oh, in the on. mail right now. I can't wait to wear that. Now that we're getting to fall season, ooh, I'm going to have a cardigan on. going to have a hoopla beanie on. What the hoopla? We got a Gandalf sticker. A Gandalf sticker right there ready to go on my laptop here. Yeah, and I can't wait to sport our new shirt. It looks fresh as shit. Hoopla. It's a shame that Gandalf's not actually in this show. Ooh. Or is he? Oh. <laughs> Hey, but once again, that's at hobbithoopla.square.site. Thank you for listening, everyone. If you do decide to make a purchase, we greatly appreciate you, but 
If you just like to listen to us ramble on for an hour or two every week, then you can just stick around and we'll keep providing that. We've never rambled before, I, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Not even once. We've never rambled, and we've never been wrong about theories or anything like that. Not once. <laughs> oh, no. oh, man. Okay. Now, with all those wonderful announcements out of the way, let's get into what we're really here for, boys. We're here for episode seven of The Rings of Power. Emotionally intense episode. From start to finish, just really poking at that heart, making you feel sad and sad and sad. So let's start with the one little bit of happiness that we had in this episode with the Harfoots. They had their fair share of sadness as well, but... Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> they're the most hopeful of the groups of people we have. Uh, we start off with them thinking that they finally made it to the Grove. Well, they'll be able to spend the season a nice, happy, quiet life for a few months, eating as many apples as they want. But it turns out that dang volcano exploded and burned up the whole orchard. I mean, we had to get started on at least one of these three storylines. And, and of course, this one is the brightest of them all. But it's not very bright. I have a note here at about eight minutes where we go into that Harfoot storyline for the first time in this episode. And I wrote down, oh, good, a Harfoot breakup. Finally, you know, a little bit of peace and tranquility in, in all the chaos. And then right away, I had a second note. Oh, God, no, more evil. <laughs> <laughs> right away, just they can't catch a break, it seems. And they show up. The grove is just absolutely tarnished. We're sure that that's the, the fire rocks that sat on. The volcanic projectiles, yeah. How far away do we think that this area that the migration took them is from the Southland? So we, we know that they went through what we think is Mirkwood in the future. True. And Mirkwood is north of uh, Mountain Doom here. So it's far away. If you look at the map, it is pretty far away. And that's another thing that I thought about. It's, you know, the effects of Mount Doom, it's not just the Southlands. It's not just Mordor, as it eventually becomes uh, named. It's really wide-ranging all the way across Middle-earth. Mm -hmm. I, I thought that was really interesting that way up north, oh, yeah. The, the groves are getting uh, showered with, with fire rocks. Well, this was our question last episode, right? Like, what would the extent of this explosion be, and how would it exactly affect yeah. Middle-earth? And now we're really starting to see the scale of how explosive this, this event really was. So I think we can confirm that it does not create the Great Wave. So that, <laughs> yes. that's one thing. Not quite. It does not have quite that far of reaching effects. Well... Who knows? I mean, we know Numenor is, sure. is far off to the west, yeah. but if we think about the real-world implications of a volcanic eruption, if something's been sleeping for hundreds of years, I mean, maybe this ship, we get a little tease, this ship leaving for Numenor to return home at the very end of this episode, which we'll get to. That but is true. Maybe they return home to nothing. I don't know. I think they've got too many important characters. Yeah. That'd be devastating to show up in <laughs> Farazan and Aarian and Kevin. Well, at are least just it might get underwater. Kevin. Oh, yeah. Well, if Kevin's underwater, I don't think we can complain. I think that's fine. It's just it's Kevin <laughs> on a dinghy. It's Kevin on a dinghy. No, that's it. Kevin doesn't de deserve to be on a dinghy. Kevin is underwater. <laughs> I don't think we need theory music for that. I think it is far fetched, but we might. Let's... Maybe they feel it. Maybe they know. Maybe there's yeah. some sort of. Uh, maybe there's another vision. I don't know, but I don't think we can write it off just yet. Sure. I think this this explosion is going to have massive effects all across the world, as we see with the Harfoots. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to. And one thing that Jake and I were talking about off the podcast after the last episode was that off this pod. explosion is also going to give us a good opportunity to confirm whether or not all these separate storylines are happening at the same time. True. Yeah. Because there was always that chance that maybe things were happening upwards of hundreds of years separate from each other. Who knows? And so we weren't able to confirm with this past episode that everything happening with Elrond and Durin is in the same timeline, but we were confirmed here that the, the Harfoots are in the same timeline as them. So uh, at least we're narrowing down a few of the options as far as what they might be doing tricky with the timeline. And the Southlands and the Harfoots are simultaneous. Yes, but that is officially confirmed as of this episode. You know, tying back to the Harfoots, we get some, we get a little bit more excitement from the stranger with the with the Harfoots yet again, don't we? And uh, mm. you know, Nori's forever struggling with trying to 
prove the stranger's worth to the colony, and things always just happen to go awry, don't they? He is peril. Is he? Yeah. Is he peril? Well, because I think we have three friends that might say otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) Jake, specifically to your point there, at 10.55, minute 10.55 specifically, and you know if I put the seconds, it's a specific time. But Nori has that hero moment where she's talking to her mom, and, and it's a situation where she says, oh, I, I, never should have, I, I never should have taken this great risk. I never should have chased that comet. I never should have tried to help mm. the stranger. That, that's a common hero arc. You know, it's a, it's a fail. It's a, oh, I, I got to believe in myself, the hero's but I just journey. can't find it in me. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I, I wrote down and, hero's and journey as well. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. We've all got the... That's that's uh, that's surface level English 101, but uh, it's still something good to pick up on because hopefully we get the Harfoots for for plenty of seasons to come, and hopefully Nori is a big part of that. So it's 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 cool to see her struggle with that early because she's just a Harfoot. She says that in the episode, "I'm just a Harfoot," and that's all I'll ever be. You know what I found very interesting is after this whole migration, after many seasons of them traveling to to this grove, the Harfoots are very quick to cast blame on the outsider. Absolutely. When, when really he's the reason that the Brandyfoots made it to the Grove in the first place. I do find it interesting, and, and you're right, Jake, like continually Nori is trying to prove his worth, and, and Poppy really comes to his aid in this episode Definitely. too. I think Poppy, this is one of my favorite episodes with her. Um, and Absolutely, I, I think yeah. she's really going to grow and grow in the next few seasons here, mm-hmm. uh, maybe become one of the, the key characters in these storylines. Mm-hmm. And we get that diegetic music from her yet again. Yeah. Which, yeah. Was, which was fun to That's sort cool. of explore. Great scene. Yeah. We end up seeing the stranger and he, he tries salvaging life or trying to restore life to this tree. And vignata. Yeah. <laughs> Say it again. Say it again. And vignata aquita. <laughs> How about that? Something about healing. That's yeah, all yeah, yeah, that was right on, right on point. Um, but you know, we get Dilly start to get a little bit excited, and so she runs towards oh, the tree really? and nearly, nearly dies. And here we go again, all in the big circle of: Do we trust the stranger? Wary acceptance. Yeah. You know? Why would Dilly go stand right under the tree? Can everyone just stand <laughs> back? He's chanting <laughs> magic. Just wait, and they're all just like, like. And then they're mad at him. Like, what, what do they yeah. want from you him? You saw him blow three wolves to kingdom come, and you're going to co- go closer to watch him perform this magic? <laughs> I don't understand that. That was... I mean, Delise seems yeah, to be a she's kid, a child. I guess, but yeah. I'll allow it. They were just about to accept the stranger into, like, the whole community of the Harfoots mm-hmm. until he almost killed a couple of them. But yeah, to Andy's point about their opinions of the stranger, it's like they care more about these prophecies and like ancient ideas of how the harfoots are supposed to live and they're basing all their opinions on the stranger based on those rather than the fact that he has actually been very helpful for nori's family you know to that point the harfoots are survivors because they endure right and being an outsider in of itself is automatically a threat to their survival so i don't blame them for wanting to cast him aside i mean Compared to everyone else, he's pretty dangerous. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like no, none of them could do any of that shit. So it's like, I don't blame them. Things have been a little wacky since he joined the party. That is fair. And they do do it in a pretty nice way. Like Sadik comes up to him when he's officially sends him away and he gives him the little star map, tells him that he'll be able to find what he's looking for when he goes to the big folk. Greenwood the Great. Greenwood, if I recall, that is the forest that turns to Mirkwood. So we get some Mirkwood confirmation in this episode. Our lore expert. Thank you, thank you. Lore master, I believe. Uh, Whatever. (laughs) And then we get these these creepy priest people showing up again. Mm -hmm. What is that all about? The Magi. They've been tracking him for so long. So I I did want to bring that up. So do we think they can track magic because we're getting those scenes only after we see him use this magic Mm. and i think those are related i I think obviously they're looking for him there's no doubt about that 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 seems pretty obvious from what the showrunners are giving us we're going to learn more about them but i think they have special abilities where they can actually track the magic that's why they're sticking with them right yeah and one of them like pulled a leaf or something out of nori's head so are they going to use that as like some sort of (laughs) tracking device as well (laughs) yeah (laughs) Theory music. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're onto something there, Chris. I think they do track based off of magic. Um, 
they were drawn to the landing site of the fallen star that was indicative of the cold flame. They're now drawn to this magical Mm -hmm. sprouting flower. We haven't seen anything otherwise for us to believe that they are, you know, drawn to something else, but they are not good. (laughs) They are not good people. (laughs) Not at all. They really took down the Harfoot's entire civilization pretty quickly. One of the only two moments of happiness we get this entire episode (laughs) is when the the stranger had successfully regrown the entire grove, and they're just chowing down on all these apples. They're making their apple sausage. (laughs) On the vittles, if I am recalling the term correctly. (laughs) Yeah. And we finally just get to see Happy Harfoots again. And not two minutes later, it all just gets burnt to a crisp. So we get that parallel with the flame again. As Jake, you mentioned in a previous episode, they seem to be obviously either resistant to flame or can at least control it. It may just be a blanket magic, and maybe we'll learn more about that. I thought this was just going to be like a... Yes, Jamie, I thought, you know, they they took the leaf off Nori's head. Maybe they were just going to use that to track... I thought this was just a show of will. Like, we're here, don't mess with us, and we'll get out of your way. Like, snuff out the flame, and we're out of here. But then they just, all at once, just fired. It it was an insane scene. And again, the Harfoots just cannot catch a break. They cannot. You know what, though? It does show, once again, Nori is different than these other Harfoots. She is bold. Ran out, called to these Morgoth worshippers. Because I don't know what else to, how to really refer Maybe. to them Sounds as. Sounds good enough to me. Blue wizards? No. No, absolutely Maybe. not. Okay. No, no. Okay. No, absolutely sure. no. <laughs> sure, we'll say no. If that Fine. happens, I'm going to be so angry. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> um, Enjoy being angry. <laughs> so, but then Largo, when he sees Nori in danger, he runs out with his little torch. Um, and then, you're right, at that moment, when Sauron... <clears throat> takes the flame away, and then blows up the caravan. No, just, not yeah. no. Don't just sneak that in there. That is not Sauron. You think they're Sauron, or one of them. I think the main one is Sauron. I think you're wrong. Okay, <laughs> you're taking your shape-shifting way too far. If that is Sauron, why would, why would he need the stranger? The only being that challenges Sauron is a, one of the Maya. That is fair. If this is Gandalf. If this is Saruman. Now, I will say you bring up an interesting point. They could be on Sauron's mission. And maybe we just we keep guessing. We keep guessing. The internet keeps guessing. I love you guys tweeting and, and retweeting yeah, on, on Twitter and, and looking at other people trying to make those guesses. The memes have been just outstanding, by the way, to, to throw in a quick social reference. Follow us on Twitter at Hobbit Hoopla. But I don't. <laughs> think that they are Sauron. I think they might be on a mission for Sauron. That's that's an interesting yeah, take. I, I'm, I'm with you there, Chris. No, it's Sauron. <laughs> it doesn't seem like they were actually threatening until they were threatened themselves, in which case they went from zero to 100 real quick. Um, but now, now we have the Harfoots actually rallying together. I was actually surprised by this at the end of the episode. Yeah. We see Nori. We see Poppy. We see Malva? <laughs> Malva, what a redemption yeah. arc for Malva. Yeah. The most reluctant of all of the Harfoots to pursue this, these magical beings um, and be a proponent of them. But yeah, now we have Malva in and on this, obviously with Nori's mother and Sadok. And I, yeah, I think, yeah, Marigold, I think that's a solid company we got going to look mm-hmm. for our, our friend. Yeah, it's a nice little start of the fellowship. We have Poppy perfectly mirroring the Samwise role of Nori getting ready sure. to head out on her own. And then Poppy mm-hmm. just shows up out of nowhere and says, you're not alone, Mr. Frodo. <laughs> Where do you think they're going to go? So I know uh, we mentioned they're going towards that forest, but wouldn't it be cool if these four Harfoots like made their way into like a Bree type town or like the an area of men? That'd be a very interesting. I'm glad you brought that up, Andrew. There's a bit of chatter about the 44th minute. You can hear a murmur. You can go back and listen to it. Someone says when the apples are aplenty, someone says we can bring these to market. And that oh. was a really interesting thing to hear about a race of people that generally stay away from as much civilization as they possibly can. I thought that was a weird thing to include for someone to murmur. Uh, Maybe we're going to see that as part of the migration path. Maybe, like you mentioned, Andrew, we are going to see these four companions 
When, when was the last time we saw four Hobbit companions go off and join a civilization? Oh uh, go off to yeah. a random town. Although it's five. That's, that's fact checker, Jake. That's a really interesting catch, Chris. I thought that they were like a fully self-contained just group and, of Harfoots who mm-hmm. forage for everything they need and are fully self-sustainable. But right. if they do go to market, that, that'd be interesting to get some interactions with other, um, other Harfoot markets, other big folk markets. Right. So here it is, yeah, so right at 4440, the frame, if you do want to go look at it, the subtitle is Lively Chatter, and then right after that, someone's quoted as saying, oh, we could bring these to market. We'll go to market with that crop, won't we? It's Sadok, it's Sadok. It's off-screen attributed, but it's Sadok. Yeah. So there's more to the race of the Harfoots. Here. Actually, I was going to mention the fact that they probably were just bringing it to the market themselves, but with Sadok saying it, I'm leaning more towards what, you, what you're getting at now, Chris. The full quote, since I know we need to move on, but the full quote is, we'll go to market with that crop, won't we? Is that more of like a, oh, wow, look, look what the cat dragged in. Is that more like an idiom? Is it, is it like, oh, we'll go to market with that? I, I don't know. We'll have to speculate even more. Theory music. Theory music. What is a market? We will <laughs> never know. <laughs> so, Jamie, I do have, like, Three very small things that happen in the Harfoot story that I just wanted to quickly mention. Largo has a really interesting line when he's talking to the other Harfoots where he says, we don't slay dragons and don't dig for jewels. Yes. And that's great because those are the two things that Bilbo does like (laughs) a thousand years later. Brilliant. Nori's name is Eleanor. How about that? Did did we know that? Yeah. Um, I did not know that. Yep. <laughs> God damn it, Lore Master. Come on, We Lore trusted Master. you. Ah, ah, I, I should have known that. I should have known um, that. The other small thing is when Poppy sees the foot of one of the worshippers of Morgoth, she disappears. Yeah. Kind of like we've seen in the past episodes. It's so effective. Like, these Harfoots are so good at blending into their environment. Mm-hmm. And, like, we've seen it multiple times, but I, I thought that was an awesome, like, little cut that they made for Poppy. Yeah, and even these three like powerful priests of Morgoth, whatever they are, they're obviously very powerful beings, and Definitely. they were just unable to find the Harfoots while they were hiding. Until Nori jumped out to get their attention, it seemed like they had no idea the Harfoots were even there. Sneaky little creatures they are. Yeah, very cunning. After their wonderful harvest of apples got fully turned to ash, we get a wonderful speech by Largo leading up to the fellowship of the Harfoots heading out to go find the stranger. And that just brings back, like I've said many times, the like main theme of the Lord of the Rings is that no matter how terrible everything gets, there's always hope. And these Harfoots, Largo especially, just really shows how much suffering they can go through from everything he's been through individually to his whole family suffering to the entire Harfoot society just having everything they own burned to ashes and he still believes that there's hope yet one of the few moments of happiness and hopefulness that we get in this episode it was a fantastic speech to wrap up i i think the best line out of the the hardfoot scenes was malva when trying to convince everyone that maybe we should maybe nori was right all along to help the stranger malva says what's the good of living sadok if we aren't living good great line so now, let's transition from these ashes that once were apples to the ashes that once were Southlanders. <laughs> That's a good oh, thing to say. No. <laughs> oh, you man. hate to see it. Oh, my word. <laughs> oh, man. That opening had me claustrophobic. What a, like effective sequence of just the dust mm-hmm. and the ash just feeling suffocating on screen. Awkward camera angle right yep. away. And one other thing is the fact that one of the first shots we see is the horse on fire. Uh, we know the inherent connection yeah. between horses and elves. And just to see yeah. that as one of the first yeah. images uh, just goes to show you how the world is turned upside down. What a hellscape. The very first thing you wake up to after being knocked out and like covered in ash and can barely breathe, you just see a horse running past you on fire. Like, and then, <laughs> and then that's immediately followed up with a man crawling and he's also on fire man on fire it was denzel washington this place is just is just devastated 
I have something to get out of the way right away as we transition to the Southlands here. The storylines get split, and don't get me wrong when I say this, I think it was a very effective storytelling device to have Theo and Galadriel separate from the campaign. But how did that happen? I am in complete agreement. I need someone agreement. to help explain <laughs> how they got so separated. <laughs> I, I, I understand that Galadriel was, 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 you know, helping, and did Theo maybe run off or something? Was there some scenes cut for time? I, I'm, it just seems that as amazing as these episodes are, there just seems to be one gripe with them that's just kind of unexplainable. We had that scene in the Watchtower a couple episodes mm-hmm. back, and now this, and I'm, I, I, can someone help me explain? Am I missing Well, we something? only had I... one writer this episode, so that's one explanation <laughs> for oh. you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do not bag on, I don't know the writer's name, but whoever they are, they did an amazing job with this episode. Again, storytelling devices were excellent, and the story I was interested in, I just need to know how that happened. Because I'm not wrong, they were all there right we do see that the people who are in that village that gets exploded by a volcano they do splinter off into a few separate groups so there's like the main group of people who elendil is leading they go off but then there's also the valendil and the queen and so there's a few groups that kind of come together along the way so they didn't really go into explaining how it turned out to just be galadriel and theo and I agree, it was kind of weird for it just to be the two of them. 100%. There were other small groups. For, for an extended period of time as well. I'm not denying that there wasn't chaos. I just, I, I wish there had been a, a story device, mm. any plot device. Maybe maybe two orcs survive. Two yeah, orcs survive and drag off. Theo right, off exactly. and Galadriel goes to get, it would have been. Or like, mm. or like a fallen building blocks their path from the group or. Yeah, yeah I, I'm with which you. we do get a following well, we building do. as we, we move do. forward in these scenes. <laughs> what a great transition to our comment about a sealed door. <laughs> we can't get there yet. R.I.P. Uh, yeah, R.I.P. Otamo. Oh, eulogy music. Otano. Oh. Oh, we knew that. We all knew that was gonna. Happen. Oh no. We knew that was gonna happen though, right? Like after last episode, where he said, "Well." I really, yeah, this was enough fighting for me. Uh, <laughs> enough for a lifetime, he says. And that was foreshadowing. He was and not we didn't wrong. get it. He was right. <laughs> I will never again fight in my life. <laughs> yeah, pour one out for the homies. Devastating loss of Atamo, but it was a strange way to get Theo and Galadriel together. But the two of them on their duo adventure was one of the more important aspects of this episode. We got to see a lot more about Galadriel's character and just this incredible amount of wisdom that she keeps imparting on Theo mm-hmm. throughout their entire trek to meet up with the rest of the Southlanders. Definitely. Like every single line. I had to give up writing down quotes from Galadriel because ah, it was just yeah. every single line she was saying was just this like ancient elven wisdom. And <laughs> I couldn't help but think that Galadriel was saying this to Theo, of course, but she was really saying it to herself. To herself. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And she was trying to convince herself that if you allow the darkness to take over you, if you allow yourself to celebrate bad things being done to bad people, then the darkness will grab a hold of you and it will never let go. Right. And I'm not sure if she believes it, what she's saying for herself, or if she's just trying to convince herself through using Theo as as an earpiece. Sure. But the two of them together was a, a beautiful part of this, this episode. Right. Yeah, when they're when they're talking back and forth, and Theo says, you know, I gave power to the enemy. This is all my fault. And while she understands that that situation could have been handled better, she she also understands we can't let him freak out. We have to keep him calm. And she does impart that wisdom. How about the husband mention? Yeah. Did we know oh, Galadriel yeah. was married from the yeah. OT? The husband mention was very She's already married to Celeborn. Yeah, that beautiful, beautiful story. The dancing, and then uh, Theo goes, oh, you, you were dancing? It's hard to see this Jake would have been stoic. pissed. What? No, because that would have been justified. That would have made sense. <laughs> I would have bought into it. And then, the, of course, these... Every time we get a little bit of happiness in this episode, it turns right back to sadness as she sees Celeborn go off to war, saying that the armor was was not fit right, that she, that he looked like a silver clam. That was a, just a really phenomenal scene. And and uh, again, I want to harken back to it so I don't get flamed in the comments. I, I think 
the separation of those two was important to drive the Definitely. story, but I just needed more description of how it got there. But uh, yeah, all the scenes were so great. So do we have a theory or what do we think has happened to Kelleborn? He's not dead in this. Like, there's no way that they would kill him off in this series. No, right? we'll, she says we'll meet him potentially in the future. He's dead. Maybe he's lost or in prison somewhere. There has to be a very good explanation because oh. he's in Fellowship of the Ring. Did we know that they were married, though, Yes, in Fellowship? Yeah. Well, I guess I'm not sure if they mentioned it specifically in the movies, but yeah, they're married. But we do have Galadriel. She does not say that he died. She just says that she lost him. I never saw him again him. after that, yeah. He is out there somewhere, which just gives us more to look forward to. Season two, season three, season the four. The West of Numenor with the Sildor's mother? Oh, yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God. This is the craziest <laughs> affair ever. What could be very cool, though, is if they're able to introduce, you know, here's a whole grouping of elves that have been lost or imprisoned by, say, Morgoth's followers or people like Adar this whole time so they've been more in the open than even Galadriel realized yeah that would be very cool if we could run into a, a roving band of elves or a captured band of elves I was not initially interested to find Celeborn I figured maybe we would see him at some point in the show mm -hmm. maybe not mm -hmm. honestly wasn't that excited about it but now that we know that Galadriel is already married to him and has lost him we gotta find him we gotta find him. and she's flirting with this human Halbrand Wow. Unacceptable. Unbelievable. Her husband only died a thousand years ago. <laughs> That's too soon for an elf. And way too long for a dwarf. <laughs> very, very long for a dwarf. We have that awesome whole segment with Galadriel and Theo doing their thing. They eventually make it back to the campsite where the rest of the humans are hanging out. And we get to see a beautiful moment of reuniting between Theo, his lovely mother Bronwyn, and his lovely future stepfather, Arondir. Yeah, uh, now he loves elves. Again, Galadriel <laughs> made him fall in love with elves. There it is. I need, to, I need to review that first episode. I don't think he hated elves as much as we maybe joke about it or talk about it. I think he... I think the town hated elves, and then I think he I think he everyone just, did. Yeah. yeah. I think he got roped into He's it. He's an influenced yeah. teenager. Sure. At least he loves him now. You're exactly right. It is a heartwarming scene. One little gripe. I'm kind of tired of the, oh, I thought that was you, but it wasn't you thing. It happens, I think, three times in this Bronwyn's hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? There's no need. Just have her be in the tent. Because you know? it's drama. So I, drama. That's yeah. why. It was really great to see a son and a father embrace you know like stepfather stepfather <laughs> and theo here Step that was even through all this ash and getting hit yeah. by a volcano his hair still never leaves his ears can you believe it <laughs> oh my yeah. God. he's got to have that thing it's glued insane. into his ears or something <laughs> so i actually have a really a, a comment about the the medical tent that they enter yeah, sure. um it was very the it, carnage. it seemed like very civil war mm -hmm. type medical arrangement where people are missing limbs they're burned yeah. like that's kind of world war one even with people's full bodies being burned the brutality of that scene was wild and once again it goes back to what we said where this is different than what we've seen in the past mm -hmm. where we're actively seeing people getting killed or appendages being lost yeah i thought yeah. we were watching game of thrones in that scene or saving <laughs> private ryan or yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it seemed like fair. a war movie. Mm -hmm. Well, Andrew, you bring that up, but it leads to a bigger point. I mean, in Two Towers, where these regal elves show up at the last minute at Helm's Deep, they're adorned in the finest silks and golds. They have the most powerful, well-constructed bows that you've ever seen. They're well-trained. This is not that. This mm -hmm. is scrappy Southlanders fighting with pitchforks and, as you mentioned last episode, a door that a door, used as a right, shield. Right. I, I mean, they're scraping by. So it's not surprising to see that they're barely getting by in the medical tent as well. That guy lost his leg. There's just blood everywhere. Everyone's in pain. The scorched face of that one patient mm -hmm. was just brutal to see. Uh, there's a, a big reference to fire and ash in this episode. And, and of course... Uh, it's across all storylines. It's something I'll bring up a little bit later. But uh, that fire, yeah, it looked brutal in there. And I think it leads to the bigger point. And with ash and smoke, we also have to talk about Queen Muriel and how yeah, absolutely badass huge. Muriel was this episode. 
losing her yeah. eyesight. She's got some volcanic cataracts. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Hey, Jake's a doctor. He knows what happened. <laughs> That's true. She just has severe eye trauma. <laughs> she has yeah. like that blindfold on. She's kind of she reminded me of like one of those like monks on the top of the mountain. Yes. You know, and she's sitting at the top. Uh and then she says to Galadriel, No one kneels in Numenor. Like what a yeah. powerful character. Yes. She says, Save it for our enemies. But Galadriel says, We are not in Numenor, which is just like an excellently poised comeback. Her quote goes, do not spend your pity on me, elf. Oh, Save yeah. it for our enemies. Dope. Badass. So badass. That was, oh. Yeah, it's savage. Man. Even earlier, when they're still getting back to camp, when she's like, do not show fear, do mm-hmm. not stop, guide mm-hmm. my horse, and no one needs to know. That, that's, that's leadership. Well, and that's the leader that you want, especially as your monarch, right? Like, these people didn't necessarily, like, these Numenorians didn't necessarily choose Muriel. She kind of came upon the throne because her father was so disliked. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. But she's that strong, and she showed it in this episode. In the, you know, early on in Numenor itself, I, I didn't know what I really felt about Muriel because I think she's getting spoken to by Farazhan and, you know, as well, Galadriel. But here she really comes into her own, this episode and the last, where she's saving the kids uh, from, you know, the, the volcano. And then yeah. even more so, she's, saving Valendil with a Sildor and uh, just a, a great few sequences with Muriel. Yes. I'm a big fan of Queen Muriel. Big fan. Yeah, that's a great point, though, bringing up Farazhan, because at the end of this episode, we get Muriel promising that Numenor yeah. will fight for the Southlanders. And Galadriel believes her. She knows for a fact that Muriel will follow through on her word. But now, after Andy just brought up the, the fact that Farazhan had previously kind of been in her ear the entire time she's been ruling. When she goes back to Numenor, will she be able to convince the people of Numenor, who are now presumably loyal to Farazhan to some extent, will she be able to convince them to follow through with her promise? And will she maybe fail in her promise due to Farazhan's anti-elf ways? Actually, Numenor is underwater. I'm not so. convinced. That, <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> I'm not convinced she'll be able to do that back in Numenor. Here are a few things for me regarding uh, Queen Muriel. Um, when she becomes blind, she doesn't want anyone to know that she's blind, but the next scene we see with her is with the scarf wrapped around her eyes, and then she's in front of her entire army on the ship, blind, back to Numenor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's trying to be strong in that moment for her people, Yeah, though, some right? time has passed. But you, you, know? you don't want your leader to appear weakened right like after battle i don't know i i felt like i felt like that could have you been to, hidden to trick everybody to think that she can see for an entire ship ride back to numenor and she could have been hidden <laughs> That'd be impossible. she could have been hidden that's that's my she, one qual she needed to stay strong in the moment when she found out that she was blind okay and then i'll buy that i'll buy come that. to come to grips with the fact that this is just what her situation is now, and she's going to overcome it because she's fucking Queen Muriel, and right. she has to. Right. She's also, I think this is important to mention, it, she's, she's, put, she's got her hand on the side of the ship, the bow of the ship, as she's facing forward. She's clearly connected to the sea because Numenor is connected to the sea. But you're right, I did, I did think about it. She's wearing the blindfold. This is probably the captain's ship, though. I mean, this is, this is close quarters. There's some men on here. I'm looking at the scene right now. There's, there are some men on here, but first of all, who's going to question the, the queen, Regent? And second of all, who's going to question Cynthia Die Robinson, who just plays Queen Regent Muriel so wonderfully? Yeah, she does a great job. And we see a limb deal, Lloyd Owen, respond in regards to... Uh, were we convinced by his sadness when... when Absolutely. I was were you very, not? Dude, no. Are you kidding me? It, it, Yes. Oh, stop, that was the... Jake. Oh, I hey, couldn't he buy it. He just lost his child. I couldn't buy it. It it seemed it seemed fake. Do you have an me. emotional I... bone in your entire body, Jake? I I couldn't buy it. It seemed. Why are you gonna what? shout out an actor by his... name and then say he's bad at acting? <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling him out. I'm calling him out. I couldn't buy it. The sadness oh, seemed. Are you kidding? Yeah, me? the sadness seemed surreal. Just didn't seem. It didn't seem real to me. So, no smiling he's from not... elves. No sadness from guys. <laughs> Especially if you've lost your son I mean, in the most tragic way possible. Yeah. 
Jake, I'm not sure you fully understand the impact of that scene if you're saying that. He lost his son. Now, of yeah, course, but the- that's dramatic irony. We know that he's not gone. Right. But- he lost Barrick. Barrick's gone. <laughs> Do you think Barrick is riding off into the sunset to find that other half of the apple? <laughs> and now the home, the home that he has protected and led for so long, he's hearing these words from the queen saying, we're going to come back. And yeah. I already lost my son. What more can right. I no, lose? I, That's I, exactly I what he's thinking. I understand the character being sad. I don't think I, you do. No, of co- I definitely uh, Oh, no, understand. you actually, you just, you just, just don't like You just don't like the actor. I'm just saying Lloyd Owen did like not portray the sadness well at all. We are not shouting oh, out actors that's... for bad performances on the Hobbit Hoopla podcast. <laughs> In this episode, we are. And, and also, that performance <laughs> was wonderful. I have, I, I completely disagree. Agree to disagree. One thing that we do need to talk about about his sadness, he says that he regrets bringing the elf aboard his ship. And we get another moment yeah. in the show of seeing elves with their elven ears overhearing conversations that they maybe are not supposed to have heard as Galadriel standing mm. up on a cliff hears that Elendil is now regretting the fact that he saved her life. It's a good catch, Jamie, and, and the senses are certainly at play here. I, I like think it was clever that the clairvoyant character in the show lost her sight. Is she clairvoyant? Yeah, she had the... Well, she the has a volunteer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, ooh. Okay, yeah, because yeah, she... The little palantir shows her the future of... Oh, yeah. That's a, a good catch. It's a whole monkey paw situation. And then Sauron's going to manipulate her through the palantir, and then it's all going to go downhill. Oh. Will she still be able to see through the palantir? Oh, that's a good Ooh. question. Probably yes. But secondly, uh, her father did tell her she would find darkness in Middle Earth, and boy, did she. <gasps> oh, oh it's what a good catch. Yes. Oh. That's right. Oh, yeah, you will find that's only a, that's darkness. A, that's a oh, so now you guys like Hoopla. me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you made a <laughs> great not point. not non-character <laughs> actors. <laughs> Great job, Logan. Great job, Jake. Okay, that is a great point. That is a great, great point. I want to say, I've loved loved Lloyd Owen's acting ability up to this point. That one scene, I just wasn't convinced. But otherwise, I've loved it. (laughs) Let's leave. All right. We got to go back to Sildor here, y'all. Yes. Sildor is dead. Can you believe Sildor died? He's dead. I have a huge issue. This This is the part, this is the really the one thing in this episode. Why are they going to trap or fake kill the one character saying. that we know will not die? That's that, what I'm saying. Dog. Like, do that with do that with Valendil. Do that with Theo. Do that with Bronwyn or Arondir, because we don't know those characters. We don't know their fates. But I, I really just don't think it's a very effective way for the audience to, you know, really be. Everyone in the knows story. that in the fourth Palantir. The three magi bring a sealed door back to life to save Middle Earth. <laughs> oh my! I forgot about that one. <laughs> you gotta remember that one. No, I think to Andy's point, I think they're not trying to fool the audience. They're trying to fool the characters within the show, or not trying to fool. But the point of this is that the characters in the show don't know, but they told the audience straight up through the use of Barrick who we had found out last episode, who he has this connection, a soul bond between Beric and Isildur. So when we see Beric in complete distress, and then he takes off at the end of the episode and just starts sprinting, presumably back towards uh, where Isildur is, we know that Beric is going to go find Isildur. And as fans of Lord of the Rings, we all know that everybody's alive, or that he's alive, so... No, but quick, quick, quick uh, connection here that you just brought up. Bill finds Aragorn in the two towers. He walks up. Aragorn falls off, right? Yes, horse connection. Bring, bring, brings him back home, brings him over to, to the Rohirrim. Mm. So I think that's a very cool little point there. It's all, I love Good these reference. human horse kind of connections that we've seen. And also, obviously, the 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 horse elf connections but to your point jamie i i don't i think it could have been a more effect it could have been more effective if it wasn't just this isildur you him being dead like there could have been a different device i think used um to get some an emotional reaction out of 
say Elendil or whoever. Yeah, I just don't think that the point is to get an emotional reaction out of the audience. It's to get the emotional reaction that we see from Elendil. And that no, we that's see what I mean. From, I mean I, yeah, yeah. So bad like, emotional reaction. They're not <laughs> going. <laughs> so by doing this, they're setting up kind of the way that they did not set up the separation of Galadriel and Theo from the rest of the group. But now they're setting up an opportunity for Isildur to go off on his own with Beric, mm. with the rest of the Southlanders and Numenorians thinking he's dead. And now he just gets to be a boy and his horse going on an adventure. And now, speaking of a boy and a horse going on adventures, we have Halbrand riding off with his torso cut open on his left oblique. This wound needs elven medicine. Who needs elven medicine. I don't know how this guy is accomplishing this feat, but boy, what a beast. Well, the reason he's accomplishing it is because Halbrand is Sauron. Yep. I didn't want to say it. I knew Chris didn't want to talk about it this episode, but as soon as Galadriel said she was going to, he needed elven medicine, I was like, you're bringing Sauron right into the city of the elves. Right to Gilgalat. Dude, he's going to manipulate them all, and the (laughs) Middle Earth is going to fall. And okay. He was found on the side of the road. I, I buy that. Come on. Okay. There are yeah. no roads left. All the roads got exploded. He stabbed himself. He got picked up, and now he's going to. Oh, Linden. you think he stabbed himself? I think it was a. I know. I don't know if I actually. I'm, this is a theory that he caused this, so he can be brought to Linden. Yeah. Where then he can start manipulating a certain elven smith. Oh. That could be. Maybe. Interesting. Okay. Is he going to go to Linden okay. or is he going to hey, go hey. to... Give the guys theory music. Aregion. Strength to the king. Is Aregion closer? Because then Gladriel would presumably just bring him to the closest city of elves. If we are going with the Halbrand to Sauron theory, then Andy, that's a very good point. He may have faked this injury. To get himself Drink to the Southland closer, but as Chris said before, we can't we can't be guessing that Halbrand is Sauron every single episode. I just wish that you know Galadriel had like thrown him on the back of the horse again. Another thing I'm having some difficulty buying into this episode: uh, how he is able to ride a horse after an inflicted injury. I'm I'm taking Andy's Andy's theory and an invoked. Have you injury. ever ridden a horse without an injury? Yes. Oh, and how'd it go? Good, because I wasn't injured. <laughs> You're also not the king of the Southlands, so oh, that's that's a great. It point. doesn't matter. Strength. Uh, that's a great point. <laughs> or the king of the Southlands, no more. Our good friend Adar, who has forsaken the title of Lord of the Southlands for a more preferred title of the Lord of Mordor, and we get a very awkward text. <laughs> exchange did you think it was awkward i thought it was weird weird too they haven't used that text in that way before agreed they could have what would have been a little bit cooler is if he said in elvish like mordor or something or if they did it on a map transition that would have been fine i agree that was my only comment it should have been a map transition correct me if i'm wrong they did introduced the places with text in the first episode. I mean, yes. The text right. wasn't out of nowhere. It could have been done a little smoother, but I did like the that it the crisped burn, the burning up, away. it burned away. Yeah, it's yeah. very thematically on point, yeah. Two final quick character notes here from the Southland storyline. One, uh, at the end, where we finally get the earnedness between Galadriel and Theo, he tries to give the sword back, and she says, keep it, soldier. And then he says, thank you, commander. commander. Very yeah. cool scene. Yeah, I like that. Right in that same vein, Arendir, both times that he sees Galadriel in this episode, bows to her because she's a higher-ranking officer. And I, yep. I just think that the continuity and the consistency of the character interactions is one thing that has to be absolutely commended in this show. I, I yeah. did want to mention, we now know that the Southlanders are going to be going to the mouth of the Anduin River. Yes. Uh, which is really cool because Pelagin. Gondor... Gondor, y'all. We're getting hey. Gondor. Heck yeah. That'll be yeah. cool in the final episode of the season. I hope we yeah, get to see they're that. starting the, a new civilization where the Numenorians had first created a settlement in Middle-earth at Pelargir, which is the port city of Gondor, or what will be the port city of Gondor. So yeah, yeah. that's exciting. We have Mordor and we have Gondor showing up for the first time in this episode. Heck yeah. So I am very excited to see 
where everything goes with the, the rest of the Southlanders as they start their new settlement in what will become Gondor. And we wait to see if Muriel is able to get the Numenorean forces to come band together and save the men of the Southlands with the help of the elves. But in the meantime, let's take a quick little trip over to our good buddies, Elrond and Durin, the best Ooh, duo of the show. The best friends. Oh, wow. As what a dramatic episode with all the dwarves and especially between Elrond and Durin and other Durin this episode. One Durin is not happy, and neither is the other one. <laughs> <laughs> there are zero happy Durins in this episode. The first thing to be noted here is that Elrond is political mastermind. He's playing it so perfectly. It's a great scene when he's in the council of the dwarves trying to convince the king to, mm. hey, we need this. We're willing to give you, I think the deal is pretty fair. Five centuries of grain yeah. game and uh, like I think protection trees. or something. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, the lumber, the lumber yes. from the most fairest trees of elven land. I think that's a pretty fair deal. With the two advisors, they look over and they say, five <laughs> centuries? Yeah. But if they I'm can keep that, that promise, because they say that in the language of Khazad-dûm, in mm. what the colloquially referred to by King Durin as stone tongue, because Elrond responds, and again, continuity and consistency with the show, that is one of my favorite scenes of the whole season so far. So cool to think to do that. As we learn in the show, or maybe even in the first or second episode, that is the lifespan of a dwarf, 500 years. Correct me if I'm wrong. We'll do some fact-checking there. Did we learn that uh, earlier? Just quick search, quick fact-checker. Um, I don't remember that. I don't, I don't remember learning specifically the lifespan of a dwarf, but I think 500 years might be a little bit longer than... Where? The average dwarf? We're looking at like a 250-year lifespan for a dwarf okay. from Tolkien's So, so two, this deal would dwarves. be multiple generations of dwarves just being able to live right. with unlimited resources if only they just give a little bit of this ore to the elves. But I don't even know where to begin. Between Durin and Durin and Elrond and right, Disa, right. we have so Ooh, many Disa different... Disa was fiery. Disa, yeah. Disa oh, was so intense. We have so many conflicting opinions on what they should do. And mm -hmm. Prince Durin, for part of the episode, wants to follow King Durin because he needs to show that a king is the leader. But then Disa says, no, we need to help the elves. And is that her main motivation? I personally started to think that towards the end of the episode, that was not her main motivation. She seemed to be yep. getting a little greedy there at the very end. Yeah, yeah. I wrote she down, is yeah. Disa bad <laughs> is disa sauron not sauron but she definitely does you know have that what we know the dwarves will eventually come to of getting too greedy diving too deep mm. into the mountains yeah. and unleashing evil we start to see that from disa for the first time when she's always been so yeah. happy really quick point on that though jamie is i thought it was so ironic that at the point where King Durin is saying, there's no more mining, you're not allowed to go any further, at that point, they've already dug too deep. The Balrog yep. is there and clearly is already awoken. I don't think that leaf was the thing that actually woke him up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, it was I don't very think that's loud. what they were trying to tell us. It was, it was yeah. just interesting that at this point, they've already gone to the edge of where they should mine. But obviously, Prince Durin wants to go further and get this mithril, and he would go and do anything for Elrond. And just seeing their interactions with how emotional Durin gets multiple times when he's interacting with Durin, or with, with Elrond, very interesting dynamic. He says to his dad, he's as much of my brother as anyone that was born in my mother's womb. And that yeah, is right. what set the king off. Walks right up to him takes the family crest and just rips it off. Right. The nameplate thrown right on the ground. You know, there's been always such great conflict between the dwarves and the elves. And do you really blame King Durin for grabbing the yeah. nameplate and throwing it on the ground? He's pragmatic. Like, he's a kind of a pragmatic leader. Like, he mm -hmm. understands the way of things. He knows their history with the elves. Like, he said yeah. that their ending was made up long ago. Like, the elves are done but we're going to make sure that our kingdom won't fall. Very wise, sagacious. Yeah. I maybe don't agree with Andy with the idea that the Balrog was already awoken. 
Maybe after Prince Durin made that final hole into that cavern mm-hmm. that had all the mithril cracks mm-hmm. and everything. At that point, maybe the Balrog was woken before the leaf went down there. But I think if Prince Durin hadn't have disobeyed King Durin, then they wouldn't be okay. in this in this situation. And so if that's sure. the case, that's what I got too. King Durin was absolutely correct. They should not yeah. have continued with this mining expedition. So do you think that that moment when... You know, Elrond and Durin, when they opened that final cavern up, is that when the Balrog awoke, you think? I can believe that. It does seem like there's some degree of a draft going through the Mithril caverns because we see King Durin toss the leaf, which gets sucked down into that vault and then slowly glides its way until it's burnt to a crisp on the, on the floor. I'm yeah. going to say it was the sound. Think about an echoing chamber that deep. As soon as you poke a hole through and you get sound actually coming through the rock, that's going to echo all the way down. So I do think Mm -hmm. it was the final hole that they poked when they were down there in the mines together. I honestly think it might have just been the leaf. (laughs) (laughs) No, not like the... It's a a magical elven tree leaf, and it obviously has magical properties to it. So it's not just a crinkly leaf crinkles in the Balrog's ear and wakes him up, but this powerful ancient magic makes its way deeper into Middle-earth than it has ever been before. And that is what sparks the Balrog to life. You know, I'm with Chris on this on Soundwave. (laughs) I think sound could be, yeah. I rescind a draft, and I'm on Soundwave train. (laughs) Nice. Question, is this the same cavern that eventually the Balrog and Gandalf will be flying downwards in Fellowship of the Ring? Or is this a different cavern? I don't know. It's too early to tell. We know it's the same Balrog. We know that. That's for sure. But the Mines of Morior. Is it the same Balrog that also created the Mithril initially? That's what I was wondering, actually. Thank Uh, you for raising that question. In the story we heard in last episode is what you mean, right? Yeah. It was so beautiful, by the way, to see... Those mithril veins just all... Yeah, were, that was cool. Like, that was a really cinematic scene where, you know, the leaf was falling down. It kind of reminded me of Forrest Gump, where the flower <laughs> at the beginning of the... The feather. It, the feather. The feather is kind of, like, flying through. It was the same... Ex- I, I don't know why that came to mind, but... <laughs> but, but you're was, right, now that was, you say it. It was super cinematic. And then when he just ignites, that Balrog ignites, I wish they didn't have that in the trailer. I think that was a big issue with the marketing to show Agreed. the Balrog igniting in the trailer, if that yeah. hadn't been the case, that would have just been shocking. Mind-blowing, you know, yeah. Mind-blowing. That's why you got to not watch the trailers. You got to go into it blind. Yeah. So just style. like Queen Muriel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> damn it! <laughs> Regardless, we can't overshadow. Uh, uh, Jake, you're not allowed to comment on this next section because <laughs> the acting of Peter Moen... Arguably the biggest actor in this series, at least, you know, we're going to see these guys go off to do bigger and better things after the series is over in a couple of years. But Peter Mullen's been doing plenty of things for long, long times. I mean, Braveheart, Train Spotting, Little Run, and Harry Potter as well. Phenomenal, phenomenal performance here. How dare you? How dare you yeah, invoke yeah. your mother's memory to prove a point? I, I, I just. You know what, Chris? Goosebumps, truly. I, I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm too opinionated. I'm too opinionated to comment. <laughs> Incredible acting. Well done, Peter Muller. There it is. Yeah, he was exceptional. He was. And the back and forth, obviously. I mean, you know, the Durin, the Durin, Durin, as we've named it. Those back and <laughs> forths were just fantastic all the way through. Oh, Wayne Arthur, of course, doing amazing work as well. But really, Peter Mullen stole the show here. He did. He definitely did. I mean, both both Durants were absolutely incredible. And squandering when, our future so you can cling to the past. The scene you profane the crown you wear. Man, that scene between the two of I think we had like two or three scenes between just Duran and Duran together this episode, and they were outstanding mm-hmm. every time. But I think my favorite moment from Prince Duran this episode was when we find out that the mithril one hundred percent confirmed can cure the blight of these yeah. elves. Mm-hmm. And he sees it for a moment. And then you see his face. I don't even know how. I can't even put it to words the way that he like expressed with his face and then yells out to Elrond to bring his friend back because he knows in that moment that he can save his brother's life and those of all his people. 
great on Owen Arthur for being able to convey that on screen. I uh, I also did Absolutely. appreciate that. He does like that that actor. He does emote so much with his facial expressions, even through his large beard. Right, he's just a wonderful job. When he's speaking with Elrond, and essentially Elrond's leaving, and presumably they would never see each other again, and he starts to cry. Like, those are the types of moments that work so well in the show between these two characters. Especially for a dwarf to cry. You know what it takes yeah. for a dwarf uh, yeah. to cry? A lot. <laughs> yeah, a, a lot. <laughs> as great as the dynamic is between Durin and Durin, as great as Durin and Disa is, even later on in the episode, I think the number one combo in this storyline has got to be Durin and Elrond, especially that scene when they're down there digging together, yeah. looking for the mithril. Mm-hmm. First of all, just it had to be pointed out, Elrond with bangs? I mean, come <laughs> on. The guy is so handsome. <laughs> Look at that. I like how they go back and forth and, and say, you know, might dwarvish for an elf. Oh, yeah, I think you too might be a bit elfish for a dwarf. Oh, yeah, that was nice. Yeah, and then Durin is about to tell him his secret the name. Secret oh, name. yeah, the secret names. And yeah. then Elrond convinces him to wait, save it till we're on the other side. I almost wondered if that was the name on his nameplate that his father ripped and threw on the ground. But Oh, that would be interesting, yeah. I'm going to say no right away because it's supposed to be only to like friends and family. Why yeah, would he wear it around? sisters and brothers. And, because yeah. his beard covers it up anyway, so... You have to be in a really close relationship to lift up someone's beard to look at their necklace. Great point. That's true. Do you think that, this is just a, a Lord of the Rings thing here, do you think that Gimli told Legolas his secret name? Uh, oh, interesting. Who knows? Who knows? Give me a series, Amazon. <laughs> yeah, let's get a Lord of the Rings series. The Adventures of Legolas and Gimli. Tune in to Hobbit Hoopla over the next few weeks to find out if Gimli and Legolas have a beautiful relationship like Elrond and Durin have. Uh, we'll be talking all about Spoiler, it. Spoiler, they do. So this was a fantastic episode, a lot less action-packed than episode six was, but a lot more emotionally devastating. Every single scene, just a punch right into the heart. I love this episode. I thought it was really great. I think it's time for us to go around and give our final thoughts on the episode and Give it the classic Hobbit hoopla rating on a scale of 1 to 111 hooplas. Let's start this week with our friend Jake. So, I was Charlotte Branstrom's number one fan last week. I cannot say the same for this week. I think there were a few qualms here and there throughout the episode. Not to say I didn't enjoy it, but I think... We had to take a little little bit of a step down in order for us to have the outstanding season finale we're about to have mm. and escalate <laughs> our reviews and rankings. So that being said, this week I'm going to drop down a few points and I'm going to give this one an 87 out of 111 hooplas. Whoa. Mega drop down. Mega drop down. All right. That's fair enough. You know, it was the action died down, but I think the drama picked up. Well, that's fine. 87 out of 111, that's still better than Chris has ever graded an episode. <laughs> How'd you feel about this episode, Chris? Well, I'm kind of on Jake's side here, I'll, I'll be honest. I do have to drop my score a little bit. This episode is coming off of, of what we saw could be the potential of this series. In last episode's battle, in the high-octane drama that we had in that last episode, this was our breath of fresh air. We, I expected us to take a little step back. Again, the continuity and comprehension of the world and these characters is the most important thing for the show so far, and in this episode, it really shines. So that's what saves the episode for me. Yes, it was boring. Yes, there's too many questions, and we didn't get enough answers this episode with the Magi roaming around. You know, is Hal Brand Sauron? That's a huge question. I like the theory that we talked about on the episode of maybe he is infiltrating and doing this on purpose. But there's too many questions. Uh, this episode for me is going to get a 77. I had Ooh. to drop it down a little bit. It, it's, it's drama-filled, and again, the writing and acting are shining through the smoke and fog, the fire and shadow of this episode. But uh, nothing really happened. I agree with Jake, though. I think we're going to get a big finale. And again, this episode's coming off of a huge stunner. So it's okay that it's dropped down a little bit. 77, final thoughts. 77 out of 71. Not that bad. I'll take it. I'll take it. 
Andy, Hoopla. what'd you think? I mean, honestly, Jamie, I, I thought it was a great penultimate episode that does set up some interesting storylines. You know, we could go a lot of different ways. I'm really interested to see our, for our Numenorians, are they going to make it back to Numenor in the final episode? What's going to happen with... Numenor's underwater. Ad- Adar. <laughs> Atlantis. Uh, uh, what's going to happen with the Dar's orc band, etc.? But and anyways, what you know, I did really enjoy this episode. It, like you mentioned, it was very emotionally intense. The Casa Doom scenes were beautiful. Really, once again, I'm I'm just watching the lore here. I love how they're expanding the lore of Mithril and pulling it into this storyline where it's a little bit different than what we've seen in in Tolkien's lore. But it's a really great driving factor uh, for the the relationship between the elves and, and the dwarves kind of seeing the ramification, the immediate ramifications from the groves to the different towns throughout the Southlands was really fun and interesting. Like I said, I'm very excited for the final episode. I'm going to give it an 85 out of 111 hooplas here. Ooh, so we got a lot of low scores coming in this week, which makes it pretty easy for me to take my rightful place as giving it the highest score of the week. Because <laughs> I'm going to give it a smooth... 99 out of 11. What the? Oh my God. (laughs) I know that this episode didn't have a lot of action. There wasn't too much going on as far as plot movement, but it was so intense. Every scene, I mean, we've been saying it the entire time, but there was just so much emotion in every single scene. Like, it's the strongest emotions I've felt throughout an episode so far this season. For the entire 60-minute run of this episode, I was just either feeling briefly, briefly happy or intensely sad or (laughs) stressed, but I was always feeling something. Invested either way. um, The dialogue was wonderful. The dialogue was incredible, and this is what I was kind of hoping for. As we had last episode, Charlotte Brandstrom's first episode directing this series, she went all out with the big cinematic masterpiece. This Mm -hmm. episode, a lot more toned down, very intense. I loved it. Tune in again next week to the final episode of season one of the Rings of Power and let us know what you guys thought on Twitter. Hit us up at Hobbit Hoopla on Twitter and Instagram. Let us know if you think we rated the episode correctly, if we're wrong, if any of our theories are obviously correct, as they most certainly are, uh, or if you guys have any theories that we haven't discussed yet, let us know. But I think now, Chris, more than ever, we need something happy (laughs) to end this show. There is some good in this world, Mr. Frodo. Our segment this week comes to us from the streaming world. If anyone's a fan of Twitch or, or the streaming platform, watching your favorite streamers online, TwitchCon is going on this weekend as we're recording. They've added a new charity function so that you can bring people in on your stream and donate money that gets donated to your stream directly to charity. They've had things like this that have existed in the past, but they've made it more easy for creators to do that. But the cherry on top is that Twitch themselves donated $100,000 to the American Heart Association live during their opening ceremony. Hoopla! Huge donation. We do love to see that. Uh, Whatever your opinions are on Twitch and how they've handled some of their past transgressions, that was a huge (laughs) moment. So uh, lots of money for a good cause and even more money probably coming soon as you watch your favorite streamers on. Wonderful. I love it. I had no idea that that was going on. Yeah. That's why we got to have this segment every episode. Bring a little happiness into the world. Thank you, Chris. Boy, did we need it. You were right. And now, for the moment of highest hoopla, what do you have for us this week, Andy? As Largo said, no matter how the path winds or how steep it gets, we face it with our hearts even bigger than our feet, and we just keep walking Thank you. We need more oh, people goodness. that are opinionated on, on Hoopla. <laughs> we are going way off the rails on this Hoopla episode. Jake is no longer allowed to drink beer while we record. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm the type of guy who likes to roam around. See, but I'm from down to town.